everybody. Can you all hear me okay? Please, please shout if you can't. Whether you can hear to say that, I don't know. Um, I thought I'd use a Khan today and um, hopefully it follows on from, from Roche's talk yesterday uh, where he was speaking about squandering our lives. And this particular Khan is concerned with whether we can wander away or not. So it's the same general idea, uh, but a slightly different twist I think you'll find. And I, I thought I'd talk about this because somebody brought it up with me in an interview and I went back and looked at it and it's actually a really interesting koan I feel. And um, I, don't, I don't sometimes think the study we give it does it justice. Uh, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about it. We probably won't finish because we've only got half an hour and there's a lot here. But we'll see how we go. So this is in the Momankan and it's case number 31. Joshu sees through the old woman. And this, uh, this is a koan that crops up a lot. It's, um, it's also in the Shoyu rock, it crops up there. It's in the record of Joshu himself, of course. And it also appears in, in Dogen's current collection, the Shinji Shogogenzo. So it's significant uh, in a lot of different places in, in Zen training. And this is how it goes. An old woman lived by the road to Mount Godai. A monk asked her, what is the road to Godai? The old woman said, go straight ahead. When the monk walked a few steps, the woman remarked, such a fine monk, yet off he goes. Later, a monk mentioned this to Master Joshu. And Joshu said, I'll go and check out this old woman for you. The next day, Joshu went and asked the old woman the same question. And she answered in the same way. Joshi returned to his assembly and said, I've seen through the old woman for you. And then Mumman wrote a commentary on this. The old woman knew how to work out a strategy and win a victory while sitting in her tent. Yet she is unaware of the bandits stealing into her tent. Old Joshu is skillful enough to creep into the enemy's camp and menace her fortress. Yet he does not appear like a great general. Upon close examination, they're both at fault. Now tell me, how did Joshu see through the old woman? And then he wrote a verse. The questions were the same. And so were the answers. Sand in the rice, thorns in the mud. So this is, this is what, uh, it's one of the koan that uh, Hakwan calls a nanto koan, very, very subtle, very difficult to penetrate. And there are a lot of different complex aspects to it. Um, in that, in that Mumman, in Mumman's verse that I just read to you, the first two lines, the questions were all the same, and so were the answers. That's referring, of course, to the exchanges between the old lady and the various monks who went past her. And, of course, the old lady and Joshua himself. And then the next two lines, sand in the rice, thorns in the mud. That's really 
Mumman's way of pointing out to us the danger of this story. You know, there are subtleties to it. And in many ways, it might seem quite easy, quite, quite soft, quite, quite straightforward. There are thorns hidden in the mud. There's, there's, there's granular bits of stuff that will break your teeth in the, in, the, in the rice when you come to eat it. And the traditional uh, approach to this koan is to focus on that last question when one asks, now tell me, how did Yoshu see through the old woman? That's, that's where the work starts. But I'd like to spend a bit more time on, on the rest of the koan because I think it raises some interesting questions. And, um, and let's just begin uh, with the old woman herself. And she's one of these characters who crops up in koan. She's like many of the cases where you read a monk said, you don't get a name. We don't know anything about her. Um, but because she's a woman, it's particularly interesting. You know, there, there are a few stories where uh, a woman, um, Iron Grindstone Lose, another example, clearly has, has an eye, sees something and challenges people, tests them in ways which undermine them. And this is one of those examples. Um, all we can really say for sure is she can't be a nun because if she were a nun, then in the Koran, she would have been described as one. We're just told she's an old woman. And we can be wary of that because that's just a rather derogatory way of referring to, to somebody of the female gender in medieval China, I'm afraid. So she may not even be old. The point, um, the point about her is that she's a bit of a maverick. Um, a lot of commentaries, when you when you look at them, suggest she owned a tea room uh, along the road up to Mount Godai. I, I don't know where that comes from. I've not found anything to explain that to me. Um, but looking at this, she's either a Zen adept of some sort, perhaps a lay woman, or else she might be something else. She could be she could be a witch or a shamanist or a Taoist sage. So, somebody with an insight, anyway. Somebody who's throwing out a challenge to these wandering monks about who they are and what they're doing. And she has no name in any of the records, but we could give her one. You know, she says to everybody who passes, just go straight on. So I was looking a bit of fun earlier on, you know, how would you translate that into a Dharma name? It would come out as Jikigyo, Jikigyo. So, you know, this old lady could have a name, we could give her one to make her feel more familiar to us, Jiki Gil. Um, and she lived at the foot of Mount Godai, which was apparently not far from where Joshua himself had his temple. And Mount Godai is in China, in, in medieval China, identified as the home of the Bodhisattva Manjushri. And for those of you who don't know, Manjushri is the Bodhisattva particularly associated with Prajnaya wisdom, with the wisdom of emptiness. Um, and Godai, or Wutai in Chinese, is identified as his home, his cool, clear home, um, which is referred to in the Avatamkasa Sutra. And somebody came along at some point in early Chinese history, read the sutra, looked at the topography of that mountain and said, ah, maybe this is where Manjushri lives. And um, a tradition arose that if you made pilgrimage to Mount Godai, then if you were really virtuous and, and holy and humble and had the right attitude, visions of Manjushri may appear to you on the mountain. 
you know, riding his golden lion through multicolored clouds. Or else, um, in other stories, he, he appears as a wandering beggar or an ascetic, um, or even a monk, a hermit, who just appears miraculously out of the mists on the mountain and posits some challenging question or insight and then disappears again into the mist. So Mount Godai became a very popular place of pilgrimage in China. And I think even, even today, I haven't been, but I think even today there are many temples there and uh, there are many great schools there. And there are famous hermits and sages associated with it, like uh, Cold Mountain, Hanshan. He's supposed to have lived somewhere in the foothills of Mount Godai. But we have, we have this situation where here's the old woman and there's a monk wandering along the road and he comes up to her and says, what is the road to Mount Godai? And it seems to me that just reflecting on that very question is a really powerful thing. You know, what is the road to Mount Godai? You know, what does that question mean? What's it saying about us when we ask it? And we ask it all the time in different ways. There are many roads and many paths that we can go down. And it's, it's quite a, I think it's quite a potent question when, when, you, when you treat it as a koan and just sit with it for a while. What is the road to Mount Godai? I mean, quite a lot comes up for me and I'm wondering, for any of you, could you say what comes up for you in relation to a question like that? What, what does that question mean in your own life? Anyone? What is the road to Mount Godai? You know, you could understand it another way. Yeah, you could say that, that's good. Yeah, anybody else? Confusion? I wouldn't know which way to go, so I would be confused and muddled. Thank you. What should I do? Yeah. Uh, Tony, I was thinking um, it's right here in front of me. Mm -hmm. It begins here. So what is it? There's an express, maybe. Yeah, okay, thank you. Anyone else? I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting question, you know, what is the road to Mount Kodai? How, how we respond to that is, um, when we, the more we reflect on it, the more, the more there is that we might say about it. And there's a, there's a fundamental aspect of, of being human, which I think is wrapped up in a question like that. You know, humanity has always been migrating from one place to another. Ever since we got up uh, off, off uh, four legs onto two, we seem to have been walking, going beyond, moving, moving across continents. You know, it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's in our DNA, I think. We're not very good at just staying still. 
we're always wanting to be moving on to somewhere. And we'll always kind of create a place to get to, with Shangri-La, uh, uh, San Diego de Compostela, Jerusalem, you know, whatever it might be, we have this idea of a, a place we want to want to go to, want to see. Pisa, Rome, Paris, Grand Canyon. You know, these places, they, they have meaning yes. to us. They start to acquire symbolic and, and very powerful significance for us. And we want to go to them. And there's a, an amusing quote by Michael Palin, I found him, uh, where he says, I've always been very restless. And from when I was very small, interested in where I wasn't, in what was over the horizon, and in what was round the next corner. And it's, I think that's a basic part of the way we are. You know, this question, what is the road to Mount Godai, is part of what makes us human beings, I think. And, and uh, it's not necessarily a negative thing. Um, this is Barry Lopez in his book, Horizon, very aptly named. When a boundary in the known world, say a geographical one, becomes instead a beckoning horizon, the leading edge of a farther destination. Then a world has never, then the world one has never known becomes an integral part of one's new universe. And I think, I think we, 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 we get drawn into, into the horizon into moving beyond where we are. And he says that our question then becomes, if we dare to ask it, what's out there? What's out there? What's beyond? What's beyond our knowing? And he asks whether perhaps if we don't do anything with that interest, we're just awaiting the return of some other traveler bearing all the answers. Or instead, you know, whether we're going to be a bit braver and turn our heads in order to better hear the call coming towards us from beyond that realizes us, releases us from the scaffolding. I like this, releases us from the scaffolding of our certainties. You know, there's something about a question, like what is the road to Mount Godai, which is, it's inviting us to go beyond what we know. It's inviting us to seek for something less certain, but perhaps more expansive, more like the horizon, as you know, the ocean meets the sea, boundlessness. And yeah, for myself, I've always, the minute I've seen a mountain, I've always wanted to get to the top of it. I never, I never liked the idea of just sitting at the bottom and looking up to it. I always want to go up there, be on the top of it. And the interesting question is, you know, why? Why? What's out there? What, what is it? What is it I'm looking for then? I have no idea. But I always feel I want to do it. And I've never regretted doing it. Another interesting aspect of it. And, you know, close behind questions like what's out there are questions like, well, what's my way out of this situation? How do I escape? How do I move on? And what is all this I'm worrying about anyway? And why am I so keen to be out there? All these questions follow on from that basic one, what's out there? So, you know, to ask what's the road to Mount Godai 
apart from its pragmatic usefulness, if you happen to be walking there, is actually quite a fundamental existential question if you see it in the car. And then the old woman says, go straight ahead. Go straight ahead. And those of you who work on Kern are familiar with, with the one that goes, how do you go straight on a path with 99 curves? You go straight ahead. And what does it say to us? Go straight ahead. And again, it's a very potent thing to reflect on. Anybody got any thoughts on what it means to them? Go straight ahead. Sometimes straight ahead is perfectly obvious. Like it's perfectly obvious what the next thing to do is. Um, Sometimes it's curiosity. I'd rather go another way. You know, um, might be more interesting. Um, but often but if you go that other way, Miranda. Which is straight ahead? <laughs> well, then it's straight ahead if I've turned around. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I mean, how how can we not go straight ahead? It comes back to that question where she was asking yesterday, how, how can we squander our lives? Can, can we really be anywhere other than where we are? Anybody else? Joe has something, Tony. You might not be able to see him on your tablet, though. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, for, for me, it just means the next thing, whatever that is, the road straight ahead is, is the next moment. Um, that's it. Thank you. Tony, um, is it Hi. about not resisting the next thing? Are you telling me? <laughs> what does it mean to you? Yeah, I think I think it's not resisting the curves um, because then they become straight. Thank you. Hi. Um, for me, it, it means just to follow the flow, just to follow the curves, mm -hmm. wherever they take you. Yeah. Okay. Hi. For me, it means uh, not to go on the road, go through the forest or shrubs, more difficult way. <laughs> Well, I believe there is some kind of road or something, so she didn't want to to point exactly or take him somewhere. So 
she sort of suggested either to go as per intuition or follow the path, hmm. not to follow, I don't know, unknown ways through the shrubs, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes the path isn't very clear. I don't know if any of you have ever got lost in a landscape where footpaths are indistinct, but it can be very tricky to find the way sometimes. And in my own experience, if I've had a general sense of where I am, it's never been too bad because provided I don't hit some topological feature like a cliff face or a, a river that gets in my way, I can, I can navigate you know, head south, head east, whatever it is I need to do. But there are some situations where we don't know what direction we're in. You know, in forests, we can very easily lose our way. And and life, life, I think, is like that sometimes. We get very deep into the thorns and brambles of whatever's going on in our lives, and we, we don't know which way to go. But the interesting thing is, whichever way we go, that's the way we go. And you can never go back again, because even if you turn around and go back again, it's not the same place. Time's moved on. You've moved on. The world's moved on. So it's never the same place. We're always on the move, always going forward or backwards or sideways. It doesn't matter. We're going. And how can it be anything other than straight ahead? I, I think in many ways, um, my, my perspective on shikantaza and just sitting is, is very like walking. I think the two things are almost um, indistinguishable in some respects. You know, one is done sitting still and one is done with feet moving. But in terms of the scenery, it's passing. You know, in, in our minds, as we sit, scenery passes, whether it's our thoughts and feelings, or whether it's um, the sounds and the light flickering, the sun moving shadows around the room, whatever it may be, it's all moving forward or backwards or sideways, whichever way you want to see that. And when we go for a walk, it's the same. The landscape comes towards us and comes past us in a kind of parallax motion. So as you walk forwards, it's like the trees you're passing are moving backwards past you. And as Dogen Zenji once famously said, the blue mountains are constantly walking. And the landscape is not static, it's dynamic, we're part of it. And our, our sensations, our feelings, our perceptions during Zazen are the same, they're, they're dynamic, they move. And I was really interested to see, I was looking at a book by Trunka Rinpoche called Glimpses of Abhidharma, and he makes exactly this analogy. There's something wild and uh, open and unknown about the landscape we pass through when we sit. And the practice of meditation is just to, just to be there and notice it, and then let it pass. And when you think about it, going for a walk is no different. You move through landscapes, you have encounters, it all changes, the people you meet change, the dogs that have walked past you change. It's all changing all the time. You have the encounter and then you move on. 
So in many ways, to go straight ahead is, is just to sit, just to be here in this moment, encountering whatever comes to meet us. Both Zazen and walking are straight ahead. But then the old lady says, such a fine monk, yet off he goes. Have you any sense, do you have any impression of what this, this might be saying to us? He's not being present. He's seeking, searching. Okay. Yes, thank you. Um, Tony, it reminds me of the little prince watching all the people going to and fro and wondering why they were so unhappy where they were, <laughs> while he just still watches them. She's like the little prince, I think, watching them go yeah. far. Where are they going? I like that, thank you. <laughs> That's nice. I, I think the old lady was the bodhisattva, she was Mujushri, and, uh, and uh, the monk had actually found him, and yet he walked on by. I would say it. Yeah, that's nice too. Tony, I was going to say I, I like the uh, I like the analogy of the walking the mountain, you know, because it, it has that aspect, as you said, of going to, towards a goal, wanting to get there. Um, but but a friend who doesn't quite understand uh, the purpose of it. Uh, would say, so you walk up the mountain in order to walk down again. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Straight ahead. Straight Interesting, ahead. isn't it? But the, the, yeah. the, the old lady's voice, you, you know, the um, rather disparaging comment, off he goes in his finery, um, is a bit like the voice that says, I don't think I should go out today because it's raining. You know, I don't think I'll make that step. I'll go that first step because of this condition or that condition. And in that way, many wonderful walks can be missed. Mm. If you listen to that voice too much. Yeah. Yeah. Or if we go off for a walk and we take all our preoccupations with us and spend the entire walk doing nothing but Dissecting those, maybe we missed the walk. I was thinking about this statement, such a fine monk, yet off he goes, and just letting it sit there for a while. And it occurs to me that another way she could have said it is, such a fine monk, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. Is this the way to Mount Godai? Is this the way to an encounter with the Bodhisattva of wisdom? Yeah, but you'll never get there. If we see um, a journey as linear, you know, like the only point of it is to go up the mountain, get to the top, and then come down again. 
then as, as Sweegan says, it starts to look a bit pointless. Why, why would you do that? And the truth is, if, we, if we're really just walking, it's like when we're really just sitting. It's not about the destination. Now, Toro made a really interesting comment about walking. And he noticed that the original term for pilgrims in Europe in the Middle Ages was santerre, which um, translated as, as sacred earth. But it's really curious that santerre gets uh, corrupted into our verb to saunter. So sauntering has this idea of just wandering aimlessly. That's interesting because most of our ideas about pilgrimage are about pilgrimage to a destination, you know, whether it's, um, in this case, Mount Godai, or if it might be somewhere Christian like um, Santiago de Compostela or Jerusalem or Rome, wherever it might be. Mecca. It's always about going to the destination. But actually, the true value of these things might not be the destination. It might just be the sauntere, the wandering. As an end in itself, which again is exactly what what we understand Shikantaza to be. It's 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 realization as an end in itself. And you know, the, these things these things are sometimes hard learned. Joshua himself, apparently in his youth, tried to go on a pilgrimage to Mount Godai. Uh, but he met somebody who must have been quite clear about these things, who said to him in verse. What green mountain anywhere is not a place to learn the way? Why bother hiking staff in hand to Mount Godai? Even if the golden lion reveals himself in the clouds, this is not auspicious when looked at with the Dharma eye. You know, these are, these are the thorns in the mud. And um, it's interesting that, for example, Uman, and Rinzai actually forbade their students from making pilgrimage to Mount Godai. Um, and the, the reason is pretty clear. You know, Rinzai is always very clear about these things. And this is, this is something he said about it. There are some types of students who go off to Mount Godai looking for Manjushri. They're wrong from the very start. Manjushri isn't on Mount Godai. Would you like to get to know Manjushri? Here in front of my eyes, carrying out your activities from first to last, never changing. Wherever you go, never doubting. This is the living Manjushri. So maybe when, when the old lady said, such a fine monk, off he goes like that. Maybe this is what she was getting at. And there's, there's another story which is related to this, um, which goes, one day Bukan came to the foot of Mount Godai and met an old man. So it wasn't an old lady this time, it's an old man. And he asked, aren't you Manjushri? So this comes back to um, Guru's point. You know, who was that old lady? Aren't you Manjushri? Bukai, Bukai asked. And the old man said, there cannot be two Manjushris. Bukan bowed 
and the old man disappeared. A monk brought this story up with Master Joshu, who said, Bukan had only one eye. Joshu then asked Bunen to pretend to be the old man, and meanwhile he himself acted as Bukan. Joshu said, I think you would have done this pointing. Manjushri, Manjushri. So you see the point. Well, who is the Manjushri that we're looking for on Mount Bodai? But Joshi was very curious about this old one. You know, she'd obviously said the same thing to lots of different uh, people on the mountain. So he wanted to find out about it for himself. And that's where the, the actual crux of the Cohen comes up, because he goes along, he asks her, what is the way to Mount Godai? And she says, go straight ahead. And then he sets off and she says, such a fine monk, carrying on like that. And he comes back and he says to his students, I've seen through the old woman for you. And we're just about out of time, so I'm not going to say much more about it now. But I'll read you one more story, which hints at where this is going. Master Joshi asked a new arrival at his temple, where have you come from? The monk said, Mount Godai. And Joshi asked, did you meet Manjushri or not? And the monk held his hands in the mudra of Manjushri. And I'll check this before we sat this afternoon. He did that. Joshi said, you can hold your hands up many times, but who is it that sees Manjushri? The monk said only, those who get nervous. And Joshu said, without seeing the skiing of geese in the clouds heading south, how can you know that cold is coming to the northern frontier? So the map is never the territory. You have to go straight ahead. We have to go straight ahead for ourselves and see for ourselves. And then that way we find out whether the road is steep, difficult, or open and easy. Okay. Pretty much out of time, but if anybody's got anything they want to ask or come back on, please. Maybe a couple of people this time. One thing, um, thanks for Tony. One thing I that struck me is just the importance of asking the question. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. We don't ask the question. We never get out of our uh, certainties. <clears throat> so, you know, to come back to what Roshi said yesterday, how can we squander our lives? Well, the answer is in the question, really. We ask the question, 
and we begin to find the answers. We don't ask the question, it's just stagnant. Tony, thank you.